Okay, young people, you can go ahead and head out for one last meeting. And so uh, my wife and some of the team are going to head and help you out so you can head in that direction. And that'll be great. Appreciate so much the music tonight. Have faith in God. Boy, that was great. And men's group, boy, that was great as well. And then I'll tell you what. I think my favorite Canaan song is Nothing Ever Can, whatever, Nothing Ever Will. I love Overcome the Lord Our God. That always stirs me. You know, Brother Autry, I really think you guys ought to go to the Capitol and sing that to the Congress of the United States. Because sometimes I think they think they're in charge, but they're not in charge. And I will tell you, I'm thinking, man, after every election, man, we ought to have somebody go on the Capitol steps, maybe a choir of 500 people and sing that to our legislatures and realize, I'm telling you what, uh, nothing's going to overcome the Lord our God. Hey, listen, they can legislate uh, same-gender marriage. They can legislate killing of babies. They can do that, but you hear me, they are going to answer to the King of Kings. And they're not in charge. They think they might be, but they are not in charge. And I'm telling you, sometimes I think these puny little humans need to be reminded who really is running the show. And uh, it's a serious thing. Uh, I, I would not want to be a legislator or a judge that voted against the, the Word of God. I'd have to answer to God for the fact you thought you could overcome what God says. And what a, what a, it's just like, um, it's just like what happened to the Lord Jesus on Calvary's cross uh, the night before he was crucified. It looked like the devil was winning, didn't it? In fact, Jesus said to them, this is your hour. But I'm telling you, friends, the next day when he said it is finished, it was finished. And I'm just telling you, friends, that let's not get discouraged in a time when our legislatures are thinking, what are they thinking? Both sides, of the aisle, both sides of the aisle sometimes. What in the world are they thinking? Uh, but I'll tell you, we've got the King of Kings. He's in charge. He knows what he's doing. And this may be their hour, but all they got an hour, we've got eternity, okay? I am telling you. And uh, just encourages me every time you sing that, Brother Autry, you do such a great job leading the choir on that song. And every time I get stirred, I'm ready to, you know, get that water pistol out and charge hell. Okay, with the rest of you, let's go for it, okay? Uh, but anyway, so uh, just a blessing to be here. Thank you to your pastor, Pastor Ingram. Uh, and I go way back and just many different memories together. Thank the Lord for his uh, ministry and what God's doing even now. Certainly exciting to see Canaan Baptist Church. And I know God's got good things if you'll believe him and obey. I guarantee you. Now, here's what I want to do real quickly is review the week. And I want to just see if you, what, what you got. Okay, I, I can't do this uh, and take a lot of time, so i got to do this quickly. But I'm just kind of curious, how many here uh, on Sunday night we dealt with, um, as I remember, James chapter number 1, and we talked about uh, counting it all joy. If you remember the little illustration, happy, happy. How many of you would say that um, many times uh, when difficulties come or little irritating things come, you have a tendency to default to unbelief, and that message uh, it was a challenge to you of having a new default, a new default of all joy or happy. How many would say, yeah, preacher, I'd have to admit that. I need a new default. Okay, that's great. I'd raise my hand on that because I will tell you, friends, I've got the gift of the evangelist. You know what that's called? The gift of impatience. That's what it's called, okay? And sometimes it's good. It's good when I'm in a revival meeting with Canaan Baptist. Sometimes it's bad when I have a flat tire on the side of the road. Okay, you get the idea. And uh, sometimes we have to learn to say, okay, God, I can't see what's going on, but I'm, I'm going to default uh, all joy. And so I'm just, that was interesting, encouraging to see some of you raise your hand on that. And then on the second night, uh, Monday night, I believe it was, I could get these nights wrong, I think I got it. On Monday night, we dealt with um, 
faith results in works which become a means for more works, which then, of course, uh, uh, result in, uh, become, excuse me, become a means for more faith, which results in works, which becomes a means for more faith, etc. And how many would say in that message, God in some way kind of showed you that some of the lack of, um, of um, instant obedience was hindering your faith, okay, or something along that line. Would you just raise your hands if God did something there? Okay, that's an encouragement. And then the next night we dealt with Romans chapter 6. Okay, when we want to sin, God has a way out, a way of escape, and the way of escape's already been, it's already there. In Jesus, we're dead to sin, and Jesus alive unto God. You say, preacher, that message opened my eyes in some degree to what I have in Christ, and I, I know I need that uh, in the battles of life, and God touched my heart about that truth, and I want that to be a part of my life. Would you raise your hand if God did something there? Okay, thank you. That's encouraging. I'm just, I'm not doing this for me, okay? I'm doing this for you, because I want you to know when you leave the meeting, I don't want you to be a week from now and thinking, now what was it God dealt with me about? Okay, I want you to be able to walk out of here and say, okay, these are the action steps. These are the truths that I need to embrace in my life, because I want God to change my life. Okay, now last night, we talked about being a witness, okay? And we just sang a good song about that, as your pastor mentioned, which is somebody who knows. Somebody who knows Jesus and knows the life-changing power of Lord Jesus uh, in their life and in their home. Remember, we made the home illustrations and applications, which is a little rough, but I thought if we got to the home, we'd get to the core of the issue. And uh, whether or not we really are experiencing Jesus and people who are experiencing Jesus can't shut up about it, okay? Pardon the language there. They just got to go tell people, you wouldn't believe what Jesus did for me today. I got to tell you about it. Okay, it's not hard to be a witness when we're sold on the product, okay? If I can say that in a secular sense, and not in any way trying to be irreverent. Okay, so I'm going to say last night God did a work in my heart about that truth and some aspect of it. Okay, thank you. Put your hands down. Let me encourage you in a certain sense, maybe take a piece of paper and write down the truths God taught you and the action steps that they entail. And the reason is uh, somebody has said uh, that um, if you tell three people, three people, if you tell three people something that you've learned, you have far more likely to remember it. And so let me encourage you to at least write it down that as you have a chance, tell people what God's done for you and uh, hopefully be an encouragement to you. Now today we're going to go to 1 John chapter number 5. So if you'd go in your Bibles, 1 John chapter number 5, I got to thinking about faith. Of course, the theme of the week has been faith without works is dead. In other words, uh, a lot of times we emphasize faith and we need to, but this week uh, I think our burden was let's emphasize that faith always results in some kind of dependent action, some kind of obedience. And uh, I got to thinking about faith. What is another? There's a lot of things we could do this week, a lot of things. Could really go for several weeks on this theme because there's a lot of obedience the Bible talks about. But I thought, what would be a really core issue when we're talking about faith? And I thought, you know what? I better end the meeting. Let's talk about prayer. Prayer. Because you know what faith, faith, if, if, if you have faith in your life, it will always find itself expressing itself in prayer. Somebody has said that prayer is the breath of dependence. You know what that teaches me? If you're a guy who's depending on Jesus or your lady depending on Jesus and you're walking by faith, it's going to come out in prayer. It's going to come out in, God, I need you. And so prayerlessness, you've heard me say this before, is a declaration of independence. Prayerlessness basically says, I don't need God. I can do this. I've got this. I don't need God. We never say that out loud, but when we do not pray, that is what we're saying. 
And so tonight, I'd like us just to really consider a great promise of prayer. And I know this is a praying church, I get that. But my burden with praying churches is this, that the circle would widen and the circle would deepen. Some of you in this room are praying, but God wants you to go deeper. And some of this room, your prayer life, you need to join in to what's going on in prayer. So the circle needs to widen, widen, and the circle needs to deepen. And so that's my burden in dealing with this. I'm thrilled with what God's doing in prayer in Canaan Baptist. Very thrilled. But on the other hand, I know that God has more for all of us. And I, I think everybody in this room, every person in this room can be a part of what's going on here at Canaan in the prayer journey. And uh, prayer is something everybody can do. No matter where you are, uh, you can do, uh, be a part of the prayer journey together. And it's so important to do that. So I want to just encourage your faith by looking at a wonderful passage of Scripture. We could call this confident praying. We could also call it, I, I've entitled this uh, text of Scripture, Receiving Before You Receive. And we talked a little bit about this in the mornings, but I want to thoroughly deal with it. So let's begin reading, if we could please, in verse number 14. And notice what it says in 1 John chapter 5. And this is the confidence that we have in Him. Okay, there it is. That if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He heareth us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. Several years ago, it would be in the 90, uh, 80s, excuse me, my wife and I come, came to the realization that um, having children was not going to be automatic. As a result of that, we began to pray and, and um, we began to just seek what the Lord would have us to do to find out if there was anything we needed to do. And, and I remember in that journey, I was down in Florida and I uh, began to think about the fact that my grandmother lived in Florida at the time and she had used to live up in our area, but my uncle had come and pick her up because she had gotten into some pretty uh, declining dementia. And so he came and, and he lived down in Florida and I knew she was not doing well with her dementia, that it had made progress. And, but I thought, you know, maybe I could get grandma to pray for us because my grandmother was an unusual woman. It seemed whatever she prayed for, uh, it would happen. Now, I know this isn't true, but I envisioned as a little boy uh, that Grandma had a bat phone in the throne room. I know that it's a bad analogy, but I felt like she could get through when I was a little boy. I realized, by the way, we, if I can say this without being irreverent, we all have bat phones in the throne room. Hallelujah. Okay, but at that time, I envisioned she seemed to have a special line in. I mean, she could get the things done. And so, uh, but anyway, I was young at the time and in early ministry, and I thought, you know what, let me get Grandma pray for us that we We'll have kids. Well, let's do that. And so I called my uncle up and I said, Uncle Bobby, I said, I'm in Florida here. I'm not too far from you all. And uh, wondering if we could, um, if I come by and see grandma and uh, have her pray for us. And here's what he said. Jim wouldn't recommend it. He said, your grandmother is a shell of the woman you once knew. He said, I would recommend you just remember her like she was. And uh, uh, because she, she's forgot everybody's name. She didn't know anybody's name. She's even forgotten God's name. Now, she still prays. She calls him that good fellow. But anyway, but, uh, but she's pretty much, uh, you know, pretty much can't remember anybody's name. But if you want to meet with her, I'll work it out. But I warned you. I said, well, Uncle Bobby, I, I really do want to meet with her. He said, okay. So we uh, worked it out, a certain restaurant. We met. And I came in the room, sat down to my grandmother, and I will tell you, I was shell-shocked. Because she was a shell of the woman I once knew. I tried to explain, I'm your grandson, Jim, my dad's Wayne, your old, nothing got through. It was like I, I was talking to just someone who was not there at all. 
Well, we had the meal. It was a little disconcerting to sit next to a woman I'd spent hours with who I loved deeply, who had a walk with God like few people I've known, and yet you just felt like you had no connection at all. Some of you who've been through this know exactly what I'm talking about. So I remember we finished the meal, and I thought to myself, well, I came here to have Grandma pray, so let's give it a shot. So I tried to explain to her, okay, this is, I, I'm Jim, this is my wife Rhonda, and, and uh, my dad is Wayne, I'm, I'm the middle son of, of your uh, grandson, and I tried to explain it all, and I said, doctors have told us we probably won't have kids, and I said, Grandma, would you pray for us? And I don't know, enough got through that she prayed. I don't remember being particularly impressed with the prayer. But I do remember when she finished the prayer, it was like God let her come back for three seconds, just for a few seconds. And she got that little cute way in her, in her face. And she took, put her hand up like she did and turned it like she would do. And here's what she did. She said, you've got it. <laughs> and my uncle looked across the table and he said, Jim, don't worry about kids. You'll have kids. He said, I have never known my mother to say you've got it where it didn't happen. He said, you can mark that one off the prayer list. And I didn't. I kept praying. But nonetheless, I, I did you know, I did kind of put it in the back of my mind. That was in the late 1980s. In 1989, of April of 1989, my grandmother graduated to heaven. In a certain sense, we were all relieved and glad she was there. She was in such bad shape. But in the 1995, Stephanie was born. 1997, Jana was born. And 1999, Annalise was born. And so we had them right there. And, and then uh, uh, in the early 2000s, my uncle Bobby, who took care of her at the end, he was a paraplegic paraplegic. He was in a terrible accident in his 20s, and he lost use of his legs. He, he lived the rest of his life in a wheelchair. Very strong upper body, but he was uh, obviously couldn't, could never walk. And uh, he called us up and said, I don't think I'm going to live long. Now, he was in perfect health, but he was a man who walked with God, and he had a sense that it was the end. He said, I'd like to come up there and say goodbye to you all. Now, that's kind of odd, a healthy man to come up and say goodbye. But he actually came up and said goodbye, and within a few months he was in heaven. It was a remarkable thing. So when he was up there, we were just discussing different things and reminiscing and getting some of the family history or whatever, you know, just spending time. And uh, I remember at one time I was with Uncle Bobby, and I said, Uncle Bobby, do you remember when Grandma prayed for us? And she said, you've got it. I said, I do remember that, my uncle said. He said, I do remember that. He said, did I ever tell you the rest of the story? And I said, no, I don't think you've told us the rest of the story. He said, well, when you kids left, it's been a long time since anybody called my wife and I kids. But anyway, he said, when you kids left, he said, I turned to your grandmother and said, Mom, why did you tell the kids you've got it? And my grandmother looked at my uncle and said, one, two, maybe three. My daughters have T-shirts that they printed. One of them on the very beginning, uh, the back of my firstborn, it says number, number one. Back of the secondborn, it says number two. Back of the thirdborn, maybe three. <laughs> she made it in, hallelujah. Okay, wouldn't trade that for nothing. You know, friends, that's remarkable. How could a woman who didn't even know God's name not only know God heard her prayer, but know how many he had heard her prayer? By the way, you know what that teaches me? Your body may be going downhill, but evidently your spirit doesn't. She was still in connection with God. By the way, friends, let me encourage you. If you want to prepare for old age, here's what you do. Begin to know God like nobody's business. You'll be in good shape. 
And so um, uh, I, uh, I tell you that story tonight, and I know some of you, it's, not some of you won't, but some of you kind of jars you, like, wow, how did that happen? Well, now I'd like to theologically deal with what happened. What kind of confident praying is that? So what are we talking about here? Well, let's spend just a moment to encourage us in this matter of prayer because I'm telling you, friends, we're going to need to know how to battle in prayer because prayer is a battle. Because the last thing Satan wants you to do is to be confident. He wants you to give up the ground. So let's notice three things in confident praying. Look at it says, and this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. So number one, you've got to ask according to God's will. If you want confidently pray, you must ask according to His will. Now, if you ask according to His will, I want you to see if you're thinking tonight, what does the Bible say in verse 14 God does? He hears you. He hears you. So if you pray according to God's will, God hears you. Then what does it say? And if we know that He hears us, well, how do you know God heard you? And the answer is you prayed according to God's will. So, you know God hears you because you prayed according to God's will. So, let's go back. Number one, you know you uh, pray according to God's will. And no, then, number two, know you've prayed according to God's will and thus know He heard me. Okay, then what does it say? Number three, there's three action steps here. And then what does it say? And if we know that He hears us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. In other words, you've got it. Three things. Pray according to God's will. Know you've prayed according to God's will, and thus know He heard me. And number three, know you've got it. It's confident praying. Now, please let me stop for a moment and put a little interim in here. You say, preacher, what do you do when you don't know what God's will is? Well, there's a good example. In the early part of Jesus' ministry, there was a leper that came to Jesus and said this, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And do you know what Jesus' answer was? I love his answer. I will. Be thou clean. Sometimes we don't know what God's will is. And it's not bad to pray big prayers and say, Lord, if you wanted to, you could heal that person. Lord, if you wanted to, you could do that. Lord, if you wanted, I don't know if you want to, but Lord, if you wanted to, you could. Sometimes, you know, God says, I will. So that's not wrong to play, pray that way. But this is confident praying. And confident praying is when you know you've got it. Because you've prayed according to God's will. No, you've prayed according to God's will. Thus, no, He's heard you. And thus, no, you've got the answer. And I will tell you, friends, as a church body, I can tell you there are days coming when this church body is going to come, God's going to lead you to pray according to God's will. You know you prayed according to God's will, and thus you know you've got the answer. But it's going to be something that's going to be big, and it's going to be something that Satan will try to scream the opposite. No way, that can't happen. But you need to be understanding, okay, of what the Bible says. So, so you say, okay, preacher, I, I get that. Now, of these three, I want to ask you a simple question. Which one seems the most difficult? Asking according to God's will? No, you've asking according to God's will, or no, you got the answer. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Of the three, the one that seems most difficult for me is knowing I'm praying according to God's will. Because once you know it's God's will, well, you know He heard you, and you know you got the answer. So how do you know? How do you know you're praying according to God's will? Well, that's a really good question, and the answer to that is the centerpiece of the message. Because it's a great promise, but if you can never know God's will, how can you pray? 
So you ought to be able to know God's will. You say, well, preacher, how do you know what God's will is? Well, let's start with the obvious. Number one, the Word of God. The Word of God is a revelation of the will of God. Every promise, every principle, every characteristic of God, all of these things are a revelation of what the will of God is. And I want to tell you something, friends. There's another verse of Scripture that if we bring in here, helps us understand why this is important. You remember in the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus was teaching His disciples to pray, right in the middle, I see it as the apex, the, the top point of the Lord's Prayer. Here's what it says. Uh, he's telling His disciples, I want you to pray this well, way. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, why in the world would we need to pray God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Evidently, that is very important in God's will getting done on earth. So I've got a question for you, and I'm not trying to set you up. Is God's will going to be done in heaven today? Or was God's will done in heaven today? And the answer is perfectly. Now, I'm going to give you a clue. When people sin, it's not God's will. So was God's will done perfectly on earth today? And the answer is, well, not perfectly, because every time they sinned, God wasn't for it. So you say, well, preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying this. I don't understand it all, but I do understand this much. When God's telling us to pray according to His will, evidently that's essential because when you and I pray, we come into union with the will of God so Satan's will is defeated and God's will is done. Now, think about it for a moment. Everything that happens on planet Earth, there are two wills vying for what happens. You know, sometimes a teenager will come to me and say, hey, preacher, I don't want to do God's will, but hey, I don't want to do the devil's will. I want to do my will. And you know what I have to tell them? Sorry, that's not an option. <laughs> because if you're doing your will, you're actually doing Satan's will. <laughs> See, there's just two wills. And every single one of us and throughout our life, uh, our day, there's two wills vying for your life. Today, either there was God's will being done or there was the enemy's will being done at every moment of your life today. And what God is simply saying is, we have an enemy who hates God's will, but when you and I pray and come into union with the will of God, Satan's will is defeated and God's will is done. Now do you understand why prayer is such a battle? I put it this way. Prayer is getting out of the grandstands and getting on the field. Have you ever noticed you really don't make a difference in the game until you get in the game? How many ever played high school sports on a serious level? I mean, there were referees on the games. Could you see your hands? Okay, now if you played on a serious level, I can guarantee you this. You had something called practice. And you put a lot of time in getting prepared. You spent more time preparing for the game than actually the game would be, how long the game would be. Anybody in sports on a serious level understands that. Now, did you go through all that preparation? I know why you did it. You, you wanted right there to go through all that preparation so you could sit on the bench, right? No, you went through all that preparation because you wanted to get out there in the game. Don't miss this, friends. Have you ever noticed how many played football, high school football? I know Pastor did, high school football. Okay, you know this about football. When you go into the field and the quarterback hands you the ball or you're the quarterback with the ball, there are 11 people on the field who are trying to end your life and inflict pain on you. And yet kids still want to play the game. <laughs> Now, I want you to understand, when you step onto the field of prayer, it's a battle, but we don't have to fear the enemy because he's defeated. And we can resist him and he'll flee. But I want you to understand, don't want you to be naive about it. When you and I begin to pray, I can guarantee you this, you get the attention of the enemy. 
And you better be ready to realize that he doesn't want you to pray because he knows that all it takes is some Christian to come into union with the will of God, know they've come into union with the will of God, know they've got the answer, and Satan's will is defeated. You say, preacher, I've only been saved just a few days. I've only been saved a few weeks or a few months. Well, it doesn't matter how long you've been saved. The promise still works. It's just about anybody who seeks God's will, prays according to God's will, know they prayed according to God's will, thus know they come into union with God's will. Wow, Satan's will is defeated. So the key is, what's God's will? Well, number one, the Word of God. Now, let's, let's just talk about that for a moment. Because the Word of God has got so many promises and principles. And by the way, that's why sometimes in a corporate prayer meeting, I encourage you to have your Bible open. Sometimes, especially if you're not sensing how to pray, because I've been in many prayer meetings when somebody quoted a Bible verse or read a Bible verse, and it was exactly what we needed to claim. So Scripture can be a very important part of a corporate prayer meeting. Very important part. Let me give you an example. Several years ago, this had to be probably 17, 18 years ago now, uh, our team was um, down in Florida at a Christian school, fairly large, rough section of town. And because of government, not government programs, but private programs, they had many students from the community that were in the church that were very needy. That was kind of their philosophy, and they were uh, uh, kind of an evangelistic philosophy, and they brought our team in. Obviously, they wanted to see them get saved or get right with God, and, and so our team was in. But it was, it was really very, very challenging because the students were very needy. Almost felt like you were in a public school, except you had faculty and staff and administration that obviously were for what you were doing. And, and so um, we were in it, but we, you could sense the battle. Now, I remember one day our team was together praying, and I mean, it was a desperate prayer time because we just felt like we're not breaking through. And I remember one little girl we had with us, she began to just, you know, just be impassioned as she prayed. And I remember she prayed, she prayed a scripture verse. She said, oh God, it's time for thee to work, for they have made void thy law. And as soon as she said it, I thought to myself, that verse will do it. I said, if there's ever a school I've been in that has made void thy law, this is the one. God, you got to work because you said you would. Well, we parked on that verse for a few moments, and I think everybody in that room, all about seven or eight of us that were praying, walked out of the room and knew God is going to work because we had his word. And so we, I think it was a Thursday, and we began to see some good things happen, and some kids were getting saved, and God was working, and this was happening, and good things were happening. And we came all the way to our Friday night service, and on Friday night we have a campfire service, and we're outside, and we have testimonies, and we invite the kids if they have some things they want to throw in the fire that God's told them to get rid of. That This is back before the downloads when we had hard copy and that kind of thing. They could throw in the fire. And several kids had told me, I'm bringing some stuff tonight. God's dealt with me. I need to get out of my life. And, and so we were excited about the night. But, but it still it wasn't the level of what I believe God had given us on that Thursday prayer meeting. Well, we, uh, uh, it, it started to rain, and so we couldn't go outside. So we did most everything inside. We had our testimony service inside. It was okay. There were some decent testimonies. But again, not on the level of what I thought God had done. So somebody peeks their head in right before uh, when they were done with the testimony service and said, Brother Van Gelderen, it stopped raining. We got the fire going. Well, I knew we had, to, we had to keep our promise. We told kids, if you want to throw your stuff in the fire and that God's dealt with you about, we, we'll have a fire. And so I thought, we, we need to do this. But I, I was about ready to get up to preach. So this was a little disconcerting, but I had to make a quick decision. And I said, okay, everybody go down the campfire, but let's, let's keep a reverent atmosphere. 
Now you have to understand these were rowdy kids. These were not kids from, it was a rough section of town. Let me just put it that way. And, and I'm thinking we're going to lose everything. On the way to the fire, we're going to lose everything. But you know what? We went down to the fire and they did what I said. We go down to the fire and, and uh, all of a sudden, you know, I said, okay, if God's dealt with you about something, you can throw it in the fire. And anywhere, we had stuff thrown in the fire. And, and I don't know how to explain this. I could sense a solemnity. Kids weren't goofing around. They weren't cutting up. There was just a solemn atmosphere. So I said, well, let's sing Amazing Grace. And many of them knew that song. They had some church background. And we sang Amazing Grace. And I'm thinking, you know what? I think God's doing something. Then I realized I was going to have to dismiss them to go back up. It's all wet out here. They couldn't sit on the ground, go back up to the room. And then uh, we'd have her preaching and preach the gospel. And, and so um, I'm thinking, oh, me of little faith, we're going to lose it all again. But I just said, okay, young people, I want you to go back up. And let's not have any talking. God's working. Let's keep a reverent atmosphere. And that's exactly what they did. They just calmly walked up, got in the room, about 80, 90 of them. I got up, preached a simple gospel message, had to preach it shorter, about 15 minutes, gave an invitation. 15 of them peel out to get saved. Thinking, whoa, where did that come from? So my team is out. All the workers are out. There's nobody in the room except me and one other team member by the name of Mike. And so I'm about to close the meeting. I'm going to pray and dismiss them. And I remember thinking to myself, this has been good, but this is not, I believe, all that I believe God told us he was going to give us in that prayer meeting. So uh, I bowed to pray. And before I prayed, a little freshman boy got up and he was overcome with emotion. And his lower lip began to quiver and pretty soon he was crying. He said, would somebody pray for my daddy? My daddy's going to hell. Would somebody pray for my daddy? I looked over at Mike. He was the only team member I had. Mike was a drug dealer, gotten saved. I said, Mike, why don't you pray for his father? Again, about 70 kids in the room, about 70, 75, I don't know, something like that. I said, Mike, why don't you pray for his dad? Mike prayed, and I mean, Mike prayed a very passionate prayer. He obviously came from that kind of background. He was burdened for him. And uh, I noticed while Mike was praying, you could hear other people begin to cry. People are crying all over the room. I thought, this is different. As soon as he finished, another person says, Brother Van Gelden, could I say, that, say something? That began to happen. I don't know, in moments like this, you lose track of time. I couldn't tell if it was 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, half hour. I couldn't tell you. All I know is kid after kid asked if they could say something. And all the while, other kids are sobbing while they're talking. In fact, one big old boy, six foot six, looked just like Michael Jordan, was sitting there sobbing. I said to Mike, it was just me and Mike. I don't know how to explain it. It was organized chaos. And I don't know how to explain it. It had order to it, but it had a chaotic element to it. I mean, it was just people crying, everything, pandemonium, just two of us. And so I said, Mike, go find out what's wrong with Bernard. And he sits down, says, Bernard, what's going on? He said, my brother's a drug dealer in L.A. He's going to get killed. If he went killed, he'd go to hell. He's going to hell because it's my fault. I've been a terrible testimony. Do you know there were two themes that night? Two themes. The one theme is, I've been such a terrible testimony. Somebody I care about is going to hell. And they were brokenhearted about people going to hell. There was a second theme that night, a brokenness over sin. I remember one girl got up, 16, 17 years old, sobbing. Could hardly talk. And she began to talk about her immoral lifestyle, sexual sin. And I'll be honest with you, in a certain sense, glad Mike and I were the only ones in the room because... It was all gutter language. It was the only language she knew. But she just confessed it, just out there. I'm sick of it. I'm done with this. I don't want this garbage in my life. It was just one right after another. 
And can I say this, friends, it was a remarkable night. I don't think I've ever seen among that kind of demographic such a remarkable move of God. And I think when we finished that night, Mike and I walked out. Can I say this carefully? We were certainly stunned and thrilled with what we saw, but we were not totally shocked. You say, why? Because God had told us He was going to work. God told us He was going to work. Understand, first of all, friends, where do we find the will of God? We find it in the Word of God. Now, there's a second place you find the Word of God, uh, or excuse me, find the will of God. Because you might be out here and say, well, preacher, what happens if we don't exactly have a verse of Scripture? Or we don't know exactly how to pray because we just don't. Well, let me, let me give you an example. Does God heal people supernaturally in 2024 in answer to prayer? And the answer is... Yeah, sure he does. Does God uh, heal everybody we pray for in 2024? And the answer is, well, no, he doesn't. So how do we know how to pray? Well, I've got a personal illustration, and it's uh, really close to home. In the 1980s, my mother had battled cancer for nine years. I think they'd given her a 30% chance of survival, and, and God took her home the day before her 65th birthday. And... Uh, the deacons of Market Manor Baptist Church had anointed her with oil, prayed over her. But I'd never heard one of them had any confidence for her healing, and my dad knew it. I don't even know that my dad had confidence. Now, at the same time she was going through that, my older brother, uh, his oldest son, had brain cancer, two years old. And um, uh, when they did surgery on him and biopsied the brain tumor, uh, they uh, said it's very rare cancer. He was actually born with it. And they said, uh, we've, uh, the, the, the surgeon said, there's 60 medical cases in history. He said, I've studied everyone intensively, and I can tell you every single one of them died within six months. He said, I can give your son no hope of survival. Now, the amazing thing is, my mother went to, uh, home to heaven day before his 65th birthday, and my nephew is still alive. And he had... Zero percent chance of survival. The only living survivor of that kind of cancer. Now I don't have time to go into the full story. But you say, well, preacher, what about that? Well, the same deacons of the Marquette Manor Baptist Church that uh, anointed my mom with oil did the same for my nephew. But my brother said that when they anointed Wayne Third with oil, that deacon after deacon walked out of that office and looked him right in the eye and with confidence said, your son is going to live. One right after another. Now, all I can tell you is, what is the difference? See, obviously, one setting, they knew it was the will of God for healing. And the other setting, they never could get confidence it was healing. So how does that work? Well, I want you to go to Romans chapter 8. Would you do that? And look at verse 26. Go to Romans chapter 8 and look at verse 26. Romans 8 and verse 26, and I just want to show you something here that hopefully will be an encouragement and help. Romans 8, 26, because God addresses what to do when we don't know what to pray for as we ought. He gives us a clue, okay? So here it is, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Okay, we all have infirmities. The Spirit helps our infirmities. Here's one of them. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. And here it is. But the Spirit, okay, notice what God says, that the Spirit of God helps our infirmities. Number two, 
that one of the infirmities, we don't know what to pray for as we ought. And number three, the one that helps us to know for, to pray what we ought is the Holy Spirit. So here it is. Say, preacher, how do we know the will of God? Number one, the Word of God. Number two, the Word of God. You say, preacher, you already said that. Oh, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us? What about the incarnate Word, Jesus Christ, the Spirit of Christ that lives within us? That's where I'm going a little play on words. But you know, friends, the Spirit of God, when we don't know what to pray for, He can lead us. Have you ever heard of this verse? If any man lack, of, uh, ask of, uh, lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men. You can be saved five minutes and that promise works for you. Works to all men liberty and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. You know, friends, if you don't know what to pray for, ask God. You know, when my brother and sister-in-law started to pray for their son, Wayne III, my brother said, Lord, how do you want me to pray? And you know, he said, everything inside of me wanted to pray this. God, when they open them up, may there be no tumor. Now, I've heard stories where that's actually happened. But he said, that's what I wanted to pray. He said, the Lord would give me no peace to pray that way. He said, the only thing I could get peace to pray was, God, when they open them up, help the cancer to be 100% Fatal. Now, when have you ever known a parent to pray that the brain tumor would be 100% fatal? So he said, God, when they open him up, I'm asking you that there be no hope of survival and that you'll heal him miraculously and get all the glory. That's how God led him to pray. So that when he and his wife were sitting with the surgeon, and of course the surgeon is having to tell them that your son's going to be dead in six months, when he told them that we've done a biopsy, there is no one who's ever survived this cancer, that there's no hope, I think he was absolutely blown away when my brother and sister-in-law looked at each other and smiled. You know why? God had answered their prayer. Now, in a miraculous way, God delivered him. I can't go into that. But I will say that his surgeon, a world-renowned brain, a child brain surgeon, came to his college graduation. And on the front page of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel was this unsaved surgeon's words. Quote, it was a miracle. See, God got all the glory. The surgeon took no credit for it. He said it was a miracle. This doesn't happen. So, friends, the Holy Spirit of God can lead you to pray. may not be the way you want to pray, but He can lead you to pray. You say, oh, yeah, preacher, I see that. But you know, preacher, I've known people who said, God's going to heal my mom. God's, I know it, God's going to, and she died. So what about that? Well, can I say this carefully? Can people get it wrong? And the answer is, yeah, sometimes people got, there's times I've gotten it wrong. And I'm going to tell you this, friends. But that not, not hurt our faith. You say, why? Well, can I say this carefully? When it comes to the spiritual realm, there are three voices. The first one is the voice of the Spirit, but there's another voice. Your own heart. He that trusteth in his own heart, the Bible says, it's kind of rough, is a fool. But there's another voice, and no marvel. For even Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Okay, you have, you have three voices. You have the counterfeiter who tries to counterfeit the voice of the Spirit. You have your own heart, and you have the Holy Spirit. Oh, you said great. So here I'm trying to find out the Holy Spirit and the three voices. So how am I going to tell the difference? Okay, now let's just think about this for a moment. Last night, I think it was last night, I talked about talk radio. 
Or maybe you like radio preachers. You know, I'm talking about going down the road here or preaching. You know, I, I, I've been on the radio long enough to know there are certain voices. I know who it is. Oh, that's Sean Hannity. You can't miss that voice. Oh, that's Glenn Beck. Yeah, that, yeah I got that. Or on to the preachers. That's John MacArthur. That's going to be a good Calvinist message right there. Yeah, okay. Oh, that's Chuck Swindoll. Now I'll get a good dose of new evangelicalism. This is good. Okay, I'm just teasing with you here. Oh, that's Tony Evans, Urban Alternative. Boy, I can't recognize that voice anywhere. And uh, you know that you hear these voices. And you recognize them. Is that a shock to you? There are certain voices around this place. You don't even have to see the person. Oh, yeah, there it is again. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's so-and-so. Yeah, can't miss that voice anywhere. Uh, some of you have very distinct voices. There's nothing wrong with that. Just distinct voices. And you recognize someone by their voice. You say, well, preacher, what are you saying? Well, as you grow in the Lord, you can recognize the Holy Spirit's voice. And you can recognize the voice of your own heart, and you can certainly recognize the voice of the counterfeiter. Well, you say, preacher, can you give me some theological help on that? Oh, sure I can. I did it this morning, but I'm going to give it again. In 1 John 1, verse 5, here's what the Bible says. God is light, and in him is no darkness. Next two words, next two words, at all. You know what God's trying to say? There's a difference between my leading and counterfeit leading and your own heart. When I lead, there is no darkness at all. It's so clear, you know if you don't pray that, that you're disobedient. You might wonder, how in the world does a preacher know, like how does Brother Ingram know he's supposed to come to Canaan Baptist? Or how does, how, does, how does someone know a big decision of the life? How do they know? And it's like this. Sometimes people have come to me and say, you know, preacher, I heard you preach this week. And how do you know you're called to preach? You know, okay, you know what I'm talking about. How do you know you're called to preach? I'm not sure about this. Okay, how do you know? And you know what my answer is? I just know. So how do you know? I don't know. I just know. It's like this. If I didn't do it, I know I'd be disobedient. It's that clear. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. When the Holy Spirit is leading you, he, he obligates himself to make it absolutely clear. So here's a young man. I walk up to him and I say, hey, listen, I'd love for you to travel on Minutemen. And would you pray about going this fall? And they say, oh, yeah, I'd love to do that. Brother Van Gelder, let me pray about it. Call him back three weeks later. I say, what are you, how are you doing on your decision? Oh, Brother Van Gelder, I really want to go. But I just can't get full peace about it. I kind of want to go, but I don't know. I just don't have full peace. What do you think I should do? You know what my answer is? Don't go. Because if God wants you to go, he'll make it absolutely clear. And by the way, not everything on the road is going to be fun, so you better know you're supposed to be there when the alarm rings at 5 in the morning. Yeah, you got to know you're there. And then you got to go out and recruit teenagers walking to school at 40 degrees and raining. Okay, you got the idea. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, see, God's light, no darkness. And I'm convinced, friends, that when we don't know how to pray, God, show us how to pray. And sometimes deacons... And pastor in this church and the pastoral staff, you have got a, a unique responsibility because sometimes God will lead you to lead the church. And it's a remarkable thing. I think about our own pastor. We had this, uh, uh, I know he's my brother, but we had this large tract of land right next to our church. And we really needed if there was going to be any future. I mean, just it's beautiful. And it's got more frontage than we perfectly right now own on Appleton Avenue, which is the big, you know, four lane right in front of our church, angles up. Uh, and, uh, the, you know, pretty much anybody in Menominee Falls drives down Appleton Avenue to get on the highway. And so it's a very, you know, very good uh, 
you know, just uh, visuals there. And uh, so we got this, and we have wanted that land for years. And I won't go through the full journey, but um, they were going to put a Sam's Club in there. And I mean, the, you know, the whole, the whole suburb, the whole village just jumped on them and said, no way, we don't want Sam's Club in there. And they kind of axed the whole thing. So this company has a piece of land. They don't know what to do with it. And made a long story, we got in touch, got in touch with them. And, and before we asked about the land, 1.6 million. That's a lot of money, 1.6 million. But when the thing fell through and we went back to, to try to get the piece of land, they just wanted to dump it. They were a big company. They had all kinds of pieces of land. And they said, we'll give it to you for $425,000. And God told the pastor of our church, the leadership of our church, we are not going to have a fundraiser. And we're not going to borrow. We're going to trust God. And so... Um, they told the church, no fundraisers, and we're not doing anything special. We're just going to pray about it. We have four months, I think it was, four months. Well, I mean, immediately money started to come in, and, and I mean, we kind of got stuck about halfway. I think it was about 200000 We got stuck, and we weren't going anywhere. And all of a sudden, completely from the outside, someone who was not a member of the church but heard about it and got burdened sent us $100,000. Then we bumped up to three hundred. dollars Wow, we're getting close, 125. And all I can tell you is it was a journey of faith because I remember my brother saying to me, you know what, here we are. We can't go to a bank now. We can't get a loan. I wouldn't do it anyway. We've passed the time. If God doesn't deliver us, it's not going to happen. And we'll miss this wonderful opportunity. Well, anyway, I'll make a long story. He was literally sitting there getting ready to sign the document when the last phone call came for the last amount of money to pay for it all. It was all paid for by the time he signed on the dotted line. Now, all I'm going to tell you is, how in the world can God lead somebody? And the point is, the Holy Spirit can tell you how to do it. He can lead you. As a church, He can lead you personally. He can lead you as a church body. The Bible makes it very clear. If we don't know what to pray for as we ought, what's the answer? But the Spirit! And so He can lead. He can lead you. And so you say, preacher, what if I get it wrong? Well, then, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Get on your knees and say, God, what did I miss? Talk to your pastor, other wise people. And why? Because you don't want your faith hurt. What God is trying to do is to teach you the voice of the Spirit. So you know it's Him, and you know it's your own heart, and you know it's the enemy, so that you can navigate life with great faith. And I want to encourage you, don't let unanswered prayer go without seeking the Lord and saying, Lord, I don't understand it. Uh, would you give me wisdom? Would you give me help to be able to know how to navigate this without my faith being hurt? Because God doesn't want your faith hurt. The devil does. He certainly wants your faith to be heard. I'm convinced that's how, sometimes I believe the devil literally does lead us to pray some things. So why? So God doesn't do it, so we lose faith in God. He's not a dummy, friends. And I will tell you this, once you get into understanding the spiritual realm, you need to understand there's not just one being in the spiritual realm, there's an enemy over there too. See, for those that just kind of walk living in the worldly kind of sense, you don't have a spiritual perception in your life, the devil's not worried about you. But the moment you kind of open up to the spiritual reality and begin to have a relationship with God and begin to, to, to understand wonderful things about God, Satan's very concerned about that. And the counterfeiter will come along and try to counterfeit God in so many different ways. In fact, I really need to preach a message on the counterfeiter and just go through so many ways God's people can get distracted or doubt God because the counterfeiter comes in and acts like he's God when he's not.
And again, if I can say this carefully, uh, you don't need to fear it because God has told you. God, my brother John has put it this way. When God leads, there's life and not death. There's light and not darkness. There's liberty and there's not duress. You pass those three tests, you've got the Spirit at work. And it's like, I know I've used this illustration here. I think I preached on Ephesians 6, and I remember I think I used this illustration, but many of you weren't here, so let me use it again. The one thing you need to understand about the devil is he is an angel of light, but really deep down, he is the prince of darkness. And he's just masquerading as an angel of light when he really is the prince of darkness. So I'm going to use a really, really down home, I hate to do this, but you'll remember it. That's why I'm going to do it. How many grew up? Saturday morning cartoons. You remember them. Saturday morning cartoons. Okay, how many remember Roadrunner? Yeah, Roadrunner. Yeah, okay. I can see some nostalgia whispering across the room. Some of you Gen Zers have no idea what you have missed on Saturday morning, yes, with the Roadrunner. Some of you already singing the theme, Roadrunner. You know what I'm talking about? You're already down the road on the deal. Okay, but um, if you remember, uh, the uh, Wiley Coyote was always going to Amazon, I mean Acme, and uh, dot .com, and he was uh, ordering stuff. You know what I'm talking about? And, and one day he ordered, uh, got a sheep's outfit. You know, he got some sheepskin, and, and he dressed up like a sheep. And I remember as just a little kid looking at the screen and thinking, yeah, I don't think that looks like a sheep. There's too much coyote showing. I don't think this is going to work. You know, friends, here's one thing you need to understand. Every time the prince of darkness tries to act like he's the angel of light, don't worry about it. There's enough darkness showing. Because God says when he's working, no darkness at all. When the devil's working, there'll be darkness. There'll be question marks. It won't be clear. Okay, so I want us to get that because really the Spirit's leadership is such a help. And may I say that these work together, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, they work together. And uh, in fact, my uh, aunt who lived with my grandmother, praying grandmother, my brother John, uh, after my grandmother went home to be with the Lord, asked my aunt, well, what did grandma do when she got a phone call? Literally, people across the country would call my grandmother to pray. And she really had a prayer ministry. And in fact, one of the people that she prayed for was the manager of the Oakland Athletics. Uh, his name was Alvin Dark. He had just gotten saved, new convert, had a lot of family problems, and, and he would call my grandmother. Of course, she, yeah, Oakland A's, she didn't know who that was. I mean, this was 1970s, Reggie Jackson. I mean, this guy was managing uh, those guys. Uh, but anyway, and uh, uh, so my uh, brother asked uh, my aunt, well, what did she do when she got a phone call? He said, oh, that's easy. She'd get out her Bible, and she'd go to all the promises God had used to speak to her heart and ask the Holy Spirit, are there any of these promises you want me to claim for this situation? So those were they dovetail together. And the Word of God and the Spirit of God working together to give us something to stand on so we can pray according to His will. So let's just review it and then we'll kind of pull it together. Number one, you pray according to His will. Number two, know you've prayed according to His will and thus know God's heard you. And number three, know you've got the answer. Confident praying. He calleth those things which be not as though they were. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, there in Mark 11 and verse number 24, therefore, when ye pray, believe that ye receive and ye shall have them. In other words, believe that you've already got it and you'll get it. Not very good English, great theology though. Yeah, great theology. And God is simply saying confident praying is, is receiving before 
you receive. When my grandmother said, you've got it, she had already received it. Now let me conclude with this. Um, 1966, my uh, father came to the dinner table in Durango, Colorado. He passed through the Calvary Baptist Church in Durango, Colorado. It was the largest church on the western slope of Colorado. He planted the church, and within six years, it went from zero to 250 people. It was just a remarkable, remarkable move of God. As a little boy, I remember people being baptized, and the place was packed out. It was, just a, it was just a remarkable thing, a little cow town. Durango at that time was not like it is today. It was still, it was the dying Old West. I remember uh, people coming into Durango, Colorado, cowboys, uh, sometimes even on their horses, and they tie their horses up and they go into the bank with their, you know, their spurs on and their six guns off the side. It's called open carry. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? They'd come in there bow-legged, you know, coming to the end of the... The Old West was still there, okay? And come to think of it, wasn't much crime with that open carry. Not much at all, okay? But anyway, and so, um, uh, so that, uh, uh, that's where I grew up and I thought that was America. I just thought... That's what you have, you know, and open carry and all that kind of stuff. And so, uh, anyway, uh, the, um, the day came in 1966. My dad came to the dinner table, and here's what he said. Family, I've got an announcement. We're leaving Taranko. God has called me to be the pastor of the Marquette Manor Baptist Church in Chicago, Illinois. Now, you know what that meant to me? I'm six years old. Nothing. Chicago, never heard of it. What's that like? I had no idea the culture shock I was in for. You could have blasted me off and put me on the moon. There would not have been more culture shock than there was going to Chicago. I'm just telling you, Cowtown could drive across in 10 minutes. You know, everybody went to A&W Root Beer after church. I mean, man, I'm talking up back in the day. Okay, but anyway, so, um, so we end up, we end up going to Chicago. And, and I'll be honest with you, for me, I, I, I didn't know. I didn't know to be bitter. You know what I'm talking about? I, you know, I've never been on a pair of snow skis in my life. In Durango, people live on snow skis for a couple of months. I've never been trout fishing, really, in my entire life. Watched my dad do it one time. I have uh, never been hunting. I mean, can you imagine that? Hunting elk, you know, the elk, and never done that. Never done. I, I, left, I left it all. I mean, guns in Chicago, no, no that doesn't work real well. And, and you know, I mean, you're, I, and uh, I've really ridden a horse a few times, but always regretted it. You know what I'm talking about? And, and yeah, and, but, you know, my brother, who's seven years older than I, he loves snow skiing, black diamond, you know, just a little kid, <laughs> powder base, you know, going off the side, you know, he was just into that stuff. And he got a job with a cowboy and, and he was part of, had his horse and they would ride the cattle up in the summertime to the high plateaus and then they'd bring them down for the fall and, and he'd do the cattle drives. Uh, yes, Pastor Van Gilderen, I'm telling you the honest truth, he was a cowboy and he can tell you all about it. And he had a job, loved the job. He'd go trout fishing with my dad, camping out in the Rocky Mountains with beautiful mountain streams. I've never done any of that stuff. I mean, when I, I mean, I'm telling you, I, and I, I was too young to be bitter about it. I just, we just moved to Chicago and I had no idea I was trading the beautiful Rocky Mountains for the Chicago Cubs. Somehow I think I got ripped off. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, something didn't happen right. Okay. But anyway, we get to Chicago. I'm just a kid. I, I'm thinking this place is weird. <laughs> no mountains, houses everywhere. We landed in Chicago, drove 45 minutes. We're still in Chicago. I'm saying this place is Huge. As a six-year-old kid, I couldn't get my arms around it. But for my eighth grade brother, devastating. Devastating. And before he left Durango, he said to my mom and dad, 
when I'm of age, I'm coming back to Durango. And he began to struggle spiritually. He really did. And I remember as a younger brother watching him struggle. Had a darkness in his face. And when he got to Market Manor, my dad never took a good church. Every church he took was a disaster in capital letters. I mean, they go on youth activities. My brother reported later, they go on youth activities. Kids are making out in the back of the bus. I mean, that's the kind of place. It was just a disaster. Whole church was a disaster. And so he comes into a youth group. Nobody has a heart for God. They're all worldly kids. Some of them not even saved. You know, just a disaster. And he's struggling spiritually. Now, fortunately, my parents were good disciplinarians, so he, the, the, his rebellion was not able to be manifested on a very high level. But he'd sneak the wrong kind of music, and that was probably the worst of it at that day. And, and of course, um, kids, kids weren't right with God in the youth group. There was no one to encourage him or challenge him. And, and so that's the way it was. My parents were getting concerned. They knew they were following God, but uh, Will to Chicago, but they were getting concerned. And they prayed during uh, his eighth grade year. In fact, his very first day at school, Something really bad happened. You say, what's that? The greasers chased him home. You say, who are the greasers? Well, I'm not a fan of this TV program, but have you ever heard of Happy Days? Okay, Fonz is the prototype of the greaser, okay? They would put something called grease in their hair and, and it'd come back and have ducktails in the back. You know what I'm talking about? There'd be a white t-shirt, black leather coat. There'd be skinny jeans. You guys ever heard of skinny jeans? They'd be black denim and they'd be high water. They'd come up so you could see the hair before the white socks and the penny loafers, okay? That was totally cool. Some, anybody know what I'm talking about? Some of you went men when you, okay. Some of you when you back when you had hair, okay. You know what I'm talking about? You had ducktails too. Now, you couldn't put a ducktail together if you wanted to. Okay, but anyway, so uh, uh, that's what it was. First day, I don't think they meant anything, any harm. But this poor cowboy kid showed up, big, huge belt buckle, you know what I'm talking about, string tie. And yeah, they probably didn't mean anything, but they chased him home. So, you know, it went bad to worse. Well, he finished eighth grade, went off for, uh, into high school at Hubbard High School on the south side of Chicago, went off for basketball, figured I'd make the best of it. And he made the basketball team. And so the, the coach handed him a paper and said, well, son, you're going to have to go down and you're going to have to get a medical release. You're going to have to get a doctor to sign that you're healthy. And so he went down and did the physical and the doctor came out and said, young man, I can't sign that. You've got a heart murmur. God took Colorado and then God took basketball. And my brother was struggling his ninth grade year. My parents praying fervently. Of course, they in constant contact with my praying grandmother, and she was praying. In September of my brother's sophomore year, my grandmother called my dad up and said, Wayne, I've been praying about Wayne Jr. And um, God told me that he's going to go on the Bible Lands tour with you in October, and God's going to change his life. And my dad said, he said, um, Mom, it's impossible. We don't have the money, number one. And number two, the tickets are already bought. It's impossible. Here's what my grandmother said. Well, I've been talking to God about it, so don't worry about it. It's going to be taken care of. And uh, my dad knew his mother well enough to know something probably was going to happen. And you know what happened? There was a man on that tour whose wife got deathly ill. And he contacted uh, my dad and said, uh, uh, Pastor, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to go, but I'll tell you what, I don't need the money. You don't have to repay me. Uh, just uh, let your son go in my, in my place. If the tour company will let you change the names, then I'll, I'll pay his way. Before my brother could think twice, he was in a jumbo jet flying across the Atlantic Ocean over to the Bible land. It was a divine appointment. This is 1968. And if anybody knows anything about the history, the history of Israel knows 1967 had just happened. 
the Six-Day War. And my brother saw refugee camps and squalor like an American teenager had never seen. And it, literally, my mom said, your, your brother wasn't eating. He was just sickened by all the poverty that he saw. And uh, God was working in his heart. And at the very end of the tour, they came to what they call Gordon's Calvary. It's what we all believe is where Jesus was crucified. And it's a part of Mount Moriah. And uh, you can literally stand at one spot and see Gordon's Calvary and look over here and see the garden tomb. It's that close. And so they went there and they saw Gordon's Calvary. Then they went over to the tomb and my brother went into the tomb. This is back. You can't do this now. They have bars there. You can't get in. But you that day could come and sit on the slab where Jesus lay. You could sit there and have a picture taken. And my brother went into that tomb. And I don't know how to explain this. The reality of the resurrection bowled him over. And here's what hit him. He is not here. He is risen. And my brother walked out of that tomb. And he said, you, I've been playing the part of a fool. Went out there in the garden tomb and sat down in a seat. A man by the name of Ed Nelson, who went to heaven just a couple of years ago, preached a message. And all I can tell you is my brother got right with God and there has been no turning back. I remember being in the church service when he came back from the Bible lands. And my dad had finished the message and had come down. And was standing here at the front of the church. And there was a balcony up in the, in the old auditorium there in Chicago. And, and my brother was up there with some of the teenagers. And he came down on the balcony. And when you did, he dumped out into the lobby. He opened doors just like that. And when he opened the doors, I've rarely seen this. He ran down that aisle. I mean, ran down the aisle. And when he did, he fully embraced my father unashamedly in front of all those carnal teenagers. And the whole congregation, probably three, 400 people there that day. Tears streaming down his face. And I can say as a testimony of a younger brother, don't miss this, he's never been the same. And I'm going to tell you, from just because of a woman who got a hold of God and said, you've got it. Anybody can pray that way. And this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he heareth us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Could I ask every head bowed, please, and every eye closed?